morning, we're going to be all over the place. All right? I'm excited about this sermon. God has uh, really convicted me again this week with this sermon. And so I'm excited to, to share with you all a little bit about that. Um, we're going through discipleship, right? So let me ask you this. What is a disciple? A follower. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, what does that mean? Who do you follow? Jesus, right? And so just like if you live in America, you are a, an American. So if you follow Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus, you are a Christian. And so for the past several weeks, we've been going over that. Um, and we're talking about you have to be a follower who actually follows, right? There's no such thing as a follower who doesn't follow. That's fake. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. But a lot of times here in America, Christianity tends to look that way. There's a bunch of followers who do not actually follow Jesus. And so we talked about that, and then we talked about how we have to count the cost of discipleship, right? Sometimes it costs you a lot to follow Jesus. It might cost you your time. It might cost you your money, your family, right? But ultimately, we as the Christian, as the person who's deciding to follow Jesus, we have to count the cost of not following Jesus. Y'all with me this morning? Y'all for, y'all forget about that? We have to count the cost of not following Jesus, and ultimately, what it costs somebody to not follow Jesus is joy, peace, love, mercy, grace. And ultimately, if you do not decide to follow Jesus, it will cost you forgiveness of your sins, and you have to pay the penalty for your sins if you do not have that forgiveness. So the, the cost of non non discipleship is great. Right. But in the end, following Jesus is worth it. Today, uh, we're talking about what we need to be doing as a church. All right. This is why I'm excited about this morning, because we're talking about here at Dublin Baptist Church. What do we need to do in order to be a church of disciples that makes more disciples? That should be the goal. Amen. And so for the people in here that are not believers, I want to say this, this. I hope that you come to a place where you know Jesus Christ for yourself. And I hope that, that, um, that you're, I know you're here for a reason. If you're in here and you're not a believer and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're not in here by accident. I believe that God brought you in here this morning so that you can hear about his grace and his mercy and his love. And I know that Jesus is calling you. But this morning we're going to be talking about, as a church, what do we need to be doing? To be a church of disciples, making more disciples. I'm excited. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning um, for the fact that you were here with us, God. You're here with us now. Um, God, you've always been here. So, God, I pray that you help us focus on your scripture. Help us focus on your word. God, speak through me. Use me as your microphone, God. I pray that you challenge our hearts, God. And thank you for um, what you're doing here at Dumpling, God. We, we thank you. We praise you, God. We ask for more of your grace, more of your mercy, God. We love you, God. Speak to us, God. Please speak to us. Focus our minds, God. Put distractions away from us. Focus our minds, God. We love you. It's your son's name. Amen. In order for us to be a church of disciples that makes more disciples, we have to be a few things, okay? So the first couple of things that we need to be is we need to be focused. Say focused. Focused. Right? focused. focused. Thank you. And then we have to be centered. Say centered. Thank you, centered. And then we have to be all in. Say all in. All in. And so for us to be focused as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be focused on the right mission. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have to be focused on the right mission. Churches, we tend to get off focus and begin to focus on the wrong things or on things that do not matter. 
The Southern Baptist Church is really good at that, right? I'm not. I love. I'm a Southern Baptist. Been my whole life, but we get unfocused quite often, right? And so, in order for us to make sure what we know Jesus is commanding us to do, and for us to know what Jesus wants us to do in our lives, not what man wants us to do, not what we think is right, but what Jesus is calling us to do, we have to look at His commands. And so, hey, we're going to kind of do a sword drill. You guys ready? I'm, I'm hyped up this morning, so y'all better wake up or get some jumping jacks going or something. Right? Turn to Matthew. Here we go. The first scripture. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. And you guys know these things. I'm just going over real brief a few of Jesus' commands. I want you to see it and read it for yourself. I'm glad that you trust me, but I want you to hear Jesus' commands from his mouth himself. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. We, this is what we went over on the first week of discipleship when we were going through discipleship. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so the first thing that we need to be focused on is realizing we have to first repent. Right? You guys remember this, right? You guys know this. You've heard this. You believe it. We have to repent. We have to turn from our selfish, sinful ways and turn towards Jesus if we want to follow him. And I gave the the illustration that God gave me was the kingdom of heaven is really coming, which means that the king himself is really coming. And if you're not in right standing with the king, he's coming to destroy some things. But he's also coming to restore some things. Depending on what you do, if you repent or choose not to repent, depends on what side you're going to get. The destruction or the rebirth, right? The, re- the, re- the recreation, right? So repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus calls us to repent. And then go down just to verse 19. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You guys know the story. They're out there fishing and they didn't really catch anything. Jesus goes... You know, put your net on that side. And they did, and their boats were breaking, right, in. And so Jesus says, hey, if you follow me, I have a greater purpose for your life. I have a greater plan for your life. And he says this to all of us, right? I don't care if you were born in a trailer in the fanciest hospital in the world. God has a plan for your life. And Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. So we're called and commanded to repent. Then we're called to follow. Um, look at um, Luke. So go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 9. I'm glad. I love hearing those pages turning. I think some of your Bibles are crying out. It's about time. <laughs> I don't know whose Bible's crying out saying that, but I hear it. Luke chapter 9. Verse 23. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, okay, if anyone follows me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is a call for us to do it daily. Not on Sunday, not just on Sunday night, not just on Wednesdays, not just at the women's breakfast, not just when the men get together, not just on mission Sundays. Jesus said, take your cross up daily if you're going to follow me. If you're not, put it down and walk away. That's how serious Jesus takes this. Pick up your cross, deny yourself that Jesus' will over our wills, and we do it every day. It's an everyday thing. Say everyday thing. Everyday, everyday thing. And then one more time, go ahead and turn back to Matthew, man. Come on. 
Matthew chapter 22. You guys know this one. Should know it by heart. We've been going over it, right? Matthew 22. We preached on this before not too long ago. In the book of Galatians, we referenced this. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. Starting in verse 34, Matthew 22 says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asking him, that's Jesus, to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. You can literally sum up all of what Jesus did on earth, all the commands that he gave. You can sum it up with those right there. Repent, follow me, love God more than you love everything else in your life, and love and serve your neighbor more than you actually love and serve yourself. You can sum it up right there. But Jesus continues to go, right? Turn back a few chapters, Matthew 28. And this is where we'll, we'll stop our little uh, Bible drill for a little bit. Right? I'll give you a break. I know your hands are tired, right? Matthew chapter 28. And you guys should. I, I pray that you will have this on your heart at some point in your life. But um, you know that Jesus at this point had died on the cross. He died for our sins. Even while we were sinners, Christ died for who? For us, right? So Jesus had died. He had been buried. And now he is resurrected. He showed himself to Mary Madeline and the other Mary. And he said, hey, go get my boys. It's about to be game time. Tell them to meet me in Galilee. It's going down, right? And so now we're in Galilee. Look at verse um, 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, right? I would be freaking out if I saw a ghost, right? If I, if I thought I saw a dead man walking, I'd be scared out of my mind, too. And I would probably worship, right? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you to the end of the age. You remember my friend Tafazwa, right? You called him T. When he came and he preached, he said, man, this is not a suggestion. Jesus had defeated death. He put death back into its grave and said, I have the victory. I have the authority. God told me that it's my turn to run this thing. And I'm running it. So go and make disciples. But we tend to go, hmm. I don't think Jesus really wanted me to make disciples. I think Jesus, what he really meant was that the pastor disciple people in the church. That's the, we pay the pastor. It's his job to disciple 80 people. That makes a lot of sense, right? Give me a heart attack here. Right? That's not what he says. But I want you to see it go. So one more time, I gave you a break. Turn to Acts chapter 1. I want you to see this. I don't know if you've ever looked at the commands in this time like this, but this is the time that, that Jesus is commanding these people. Um, look at Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Until the day when he was taken up, 
after he had given the commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, right? And the command was to go and do what? Go and make disciples, right? Let's try that again. Let me read this again. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given the commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, right? What was the command that he gave them? Go and make disciples. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, we know that he was talking about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit, we finally received the Holy Spirit. And it was a great day in our history of faith, right? Because now Jesus dwells inside of us as a believer. No one else in the whole world has what we have. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Nobody else has that but the believer in Jesus Christ. That's a good thing. Look at verse 6. So when they came to, when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the season, what the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and all Samaria and to the end of the earth. Woo! Man, y'all are asleep. Jesus is here. Yeah, you're focused. I hope so. Some of you look like you're sleep focusing, right? Your eyes are closed on me. Jesus says, hey, I'm with you. I am literally dwelling inside of you, and you're going to go make disciples and be my witnesses. Everywhere. You will be my witnesses. These were the last things that Jesus has commanded us. He said, go, make more followers of me. Go, teach them how to live in this crazy world that does not love me. Go, and teach them how to obey me. Go, get them baptized. Go, give them hope. Go, give them love. Go, tell them about how much I want to forgive them of their sins. Go. These were Jesus' last commands. The last words. And I can see it on some of your faces right now. Pastor, golly, man, when are you going to stop preaching on this? We get it? I can see it. Some of it is right on your forehead. I see it. You might as well have gotten it tattooed before you came in here. Pastor, I get it. <laughs> but there's a pastor. His name is Francis Chan. Anybody heard of Francis Chan? He's a great man of God in, in our time. Um, it, you should read some of his books and his teachings. I, he's one of the guys that I've studied and I've uh, followed after. His name is Francis Chan. And he was, um, he was preaching to his church. And he's kind of left the church. He does home churches now. But um, he was teaching on discipleship over and over and over and over again for almost a year. And finally, one of his deacons said, hey, man, we get it. Right? We get it. Go make disciples. And he goes, well, let me put it like this for you. I'm going to read what his quote is. He said, let's say I go to my daughter and I tell my daughter, go clean your room. And sometime later, I hear my daughter walking down the hall past my office and I hear her say, go clean your room. Go clean your room. Go clean your room. Over and over again. And I ask her, hey, baby girl, did you go clean your room yet? And she says, oh, Dad, I, I haven't cleaned my room yet. I, I just really want to make sure I memorize what you've told me to do before I actually go and do it. So I memorized it. You said, go clean your room. Right? And then she walked away. The next day, um, I see my daughter writing on a piece of paper, go clean your room. And I ask her, baby girl, have, have you cleaned your room yet? 
And she says, Dad, I haven't cleaned my room yet. Um, I'm almost there, but I really want to make sure that I understood what you meant when you said for me to go clean my room. So I'm looking at the grammar. I'm breaking the sentence apart. I'm looking at the context of what you told me to do. And, and, and you, I, I'm almost got it figured out. Then the next day, I see my daughter gathered with a group of her friends in the living room, and they're praying. Afterwards, I say, hey, baby girl, have you cleaned your room yet? And she said, Dad, I'm so close to going and cleaning my room. <laughs> my friends and I thought it would be, way, or be much wiser to gather and to pray and clean, uh, about cleaning my room before I actually went and cleaned my room. Dad, I'm so close. I'm, I'm just about there. I just want to make sure I understand what you're calling me to do. And Francis Chan said, all the while, her room never got cleaned. <laughs> Church, God has commanded us to go and make disciples. To go and teach them how to obey his commands. More often than not, this is exactly how we treat God and his commands. We gather together. Oh, this is awesome. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. Let's make curriculum about it. Let's make cool pictures about it. Let's get it tattooed on us. All the while, we're not making disciples. All while we're sitting in here not going. And it's not even really the church. I just want you to focus on yourself. Be selfish for one second. I'm allowing you to be selfish. Have you gone and done what Jesus has called you to do yet? Are you still taking notes on it? Are you still listening to other sermons about it? Are you still talking to others about it? Or are you going? I think it's time. Right? We're in a time. Of, look, DBC, Duncan Baptist Church has a great legacy. 220-something years, Right? has a legacy. Kim K just gave me a book about it. I've never seen that before. That means that this church has done some great, great things. There's dozens of church in this area that came out of Dumplin'. There's dozens of pastors that are out preaching, doing great things that have come up out of Dumplin'. We've supported missionaries. There's the, the legacy of DBC in Dumplin' Valley is great. And it's time that we revitalize DBC and we get focused back on the mission and actually do what God's commanding us to do. I don't know if you realize that we're in a process of revitalizing here. I don't know if you feel it. I feel it. I wake up excited about it. But it's time that the church, not just us, but the church in general, the church in America, the church across the world, stop talking about it and start being about it. You hear me? We need to focus. Stay focused. Stay focused. Focus. The mission is we need to stay Focus. It's not about programs, um, although they're good. We need things that people to come in here and do and to serve, right? But it's not just about that. Um, to be a follower who follows and to be a follower who makes more followers, that is the mission. That's why we're doing everything here at Dumplin' Baptist to revitalize. We're focusing on three things. What are those three things that we focus on? Worship, serve, disciple. If we're not worshiping, if we're not serving, if we're not discipling, we are not going to do it. If it's a waste of our focus and a waste of our time, we're not going to do it. That's why when we worship, we're picking songs, not because it makes you think about the past. We're not picking songs that because they're brand new. We're picking songs that are centered on Jesus Christ. And we're going to worship. That's why when Jesus says to serve God and to serve other people, right? That's why we're going to serve. Because Jesus commands us to serve. And we're going to make disciples because Jesus commanded us 
to go and make disciples. So we're focused. Say focused. Thank you. As a church, we need to be centered. Say centered. We need to be centered on Jesus and his gospel and on his life, right? And that's why I said one of the, the things that we're doing through worship, which worship is what? Love expressed. Love expressed. We're, we're focusing on expressing our love through Jesus. But as a follower of Jesus, you guys need to use the time of worship as it's supposed to be used. The time when we come in here and we sing songs, right, that are, that are centered on Jesus, it's a time for you to come to repentance. It's a time for you to let go of your burdens. It's a time for you to sing praises and to be thankful. So don't use this time when we come up here and sing songs to stand and sing like you're doing karaoke. There's a karaoke spot that's right down the road from you. You can go sing karaoke down there. Use the time of worship to be centered on Jesus. To tell him, Jesus, I love you. That's why I'm singing these songs. I'm not, I'm not, I don't care if the lights are turned down. I don't care if the lights are turned on. I don't care if there's a piano, guitar, organ. Or what, what's that thing called right here? Accordion. I don't care what it is. Jesus, I am going to worship you. I want to be centered on you. So as a follower, use that time to be centered on Jesus. As a church, we need to be centering our lives and our focus on Jesus and his mission. The church wasn't meant to be a place where you come in and get your own glory. I might hurt some feelings right now. I don't care. The church was not meant for you to be praised and for you to get glory. The church wasn't designed for you to come in and try to spread your bad attitude, your bad negativity. The church was not designed or created for you to come in and gossip and spread rumors. The gospel or the church wasn't meant for any of that. If you look through the Old Testament, the church was designed for us to be in a place where God dwells. You understand what I'm saying? That's what the church was designed for. But in the Old Testament, right, as God comes and, he, and he's finally spending his time and his presence here on earth, Jesus comes and he busts that church wide open. He goes, now you are the church. I dwell inside of you. So it's not the building that's the church. It's you. You are the church. But the church wasn't designed for you. We are the church, but it wasn't designed for us to bring glory to ourselves. You guys with me? Church was made and designed for us to come together to praise and to worship our God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was designed and built so that we can encourage and equip our fellow brothers and sisters who are also in the process of following Jesus, encourage them and send them out the door to be the church in their neighborhood. You understand? It's not for ourselves, but I believe that in America... The American church, we have lost our focus and is no longer centered on Jesus, but it's centered on our own lives. Centered on our own selfishness. Centered on what we can get from the church. The church wasn't designed for that. And the last thing that we need to be, if we're going to be a church that makes disciples, we need to be all in. Say all in. All in. We have to be focused. Say focus. focus. We need to be centered. Say centered. centered. And we have to be all in. Look to your neighbor for just real quick. Put your hand on your neighbor. Find a neighbor if you can't find. Yeah, ask him neighbor. Some of you aren't doing it. Come on, look to your neighbor. I, okay, here we go. Look to your neighbor. Say, our oh, neighbor. Are you all in? Are you all in? Say, don't lie to me. We're gonna see. We're gonna see. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter four. We're gonna we're gonna see. We're going to see who's all in. Go to turn to Acts chapter 4. Verse 32. 
This is the context. The church was growing. Jesus came. Spirit happened. Boom. Go, go be my witnesses. Go make disciples. I'm with you because the Spirit is growing inside of you. The day of Pentecost broke out. They're speaking in different languages. It's going crazy. People are getting baptized by the thousands, and the church is growing. This is the context. So now let's look at this. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what, sold, of what was sold. And laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So the early church, man, it was growing. They were repenting. They were following Jesus' command. People were getting baptized. And they said, hey, this is a good thing. Let's, let's, let's come together. Let's keep this mission focused on what Jesus has called us to do. And so people were starting to bring in all of the stuff that they own. Right? Here we go. What, how, can, how can you use this in the mission? Let's, let's, let's continue to build this. Right? And there's, a, there's some other um, um, studies on this. Uh, some pastors think that they weren't trusting in God. And so they're saying, hey, God, God might not provide for us because Jesus is gone. And he said his kingdom would be established. So let's raise our own money. Others believe that they were just so focused on the mission. They go, man, anything in my life, I want to surrender it now. Right? So there's two schools of thought. But I, I want you to see what's happening here. Right? This guy, Joseph, is like, hey. This is what I have. I can sell my land. I'm going to bring you the money. And so what he did was he brought in the money and the, the apostles, right, the disciples recognized him, gave him a cool nickname, Barnabas, right? That's a cool nickname, son of encouragement, right? I've been called the son of something else before, um, but never of encouragement, right? And so son of encouragement. And, and I think you're, you're going to see what happened, but um, all is well. It seems like everybody was focused. Everybody was centered. It looked like everybody was all in. Say all in. All in. Now, look at Acts chapter 5, verse 1. It says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira set, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did, you, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down, breathed his last, and great fear came upon all those who heard of it. And the young men who rose up, wrapped him up, and carried him out, and buried him. Right, and the story goes on. His wife comes in, and Peter asks her the same thing. You know, hey, did you sell the land for this much, and did you give us this much? And she said, yes. And he goes, why have you agreed to lie with your husband? You're not lying to man. You're lying to God. And what was her um, consequence for that? What happened to her? Boom, she dropped dead. He said, man, you hear those footsteps coming? Those are the same footsteps that came and buried your husband for lying to the Holy Spirit. 
And she dropped dead and they buried her. And it says down here, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon, upon all who heard of these things. Now this is crazy. To read a story like that is crazy. And a lot of pastors will not preach on this because of how gnarly and how intense this story is. But I'm not afraid of it. Because this shows me a few things. And this is what God convicted me of this week, okay? Right? He, man, this is good. It reveals how essential it is for the unity of the church to be one body, one mind, one focus, and all centered. It reveals how important unity is, not just for the church, but how important unity is for God. And it shows us how serious God takes the deceit which threatens the church. You guys have to see this. You got the early church who's focused, who's centered, but you got some members who are not on the same page. You got some members of the church. You got Ananias and his wife, and, and, and they're not on the same page. And they see Barnabas getting this recognition for, for selling his land and bringing in money, and they begin to scheme a little bit. We want to be recognized too. Right? So if we have our land, we can go sell it. We can say we sold it for this much, give it to the church. They think we're awesome. Yeah, here we go. Maybe I'll get a cool nickname or something. Maybe they'll acknowledge me. But just in case for a rainy day, right, we got some money over here. They were not all in. Say all in. Amen. And so what tends to happen, guys, you know, here, come, here comes Peter, and, and God gives him discernment to see right through what I like to call church game. He gives Peter the discernment to look through and see that Ananias, they were playing a church game. In verse 3 and 6, Peter calls him out for telling a lie and living a lie out. He had lied. Ananias had lied. He brought, like everyone else, money for his land to put towards the mission. But in reality, it wasn't true. He kept some back for himself. But what he was expecting was to be praised just like those that were giving their all. Do you see what I'm seeing? Do you hear what I'm saying? He said he expected a pat on the back for a half-hearted service to the church. Let me make it plain and very, very simple here. God does not play church games. God doesn't play games with his church. Ananias came to, to, oh, here's what I'm bringing to you. Here's my service. Here's my hard work. It was half-hearted, but he was expecting a whole blessing for it. You can't give half to God and expect full blessings back from God. It doesn't work that way. It's either you give your all, or you get all, or you give nothing and you get nothing. Don't expect to give half and get the full blessing from God. It does not work like that. He does not play games. And they face the consequences of their sins right then and there. I wanna, let, me, let me step back for a minute and give you a, an example. Right? I love my wife. Right? Lucy's my world. It goes God and then my wife. Right? Then Red Bull and skateboarding. Okay? I love, I love those things too. But I love my wife. And I'm from a place in California. Right? Me and Katie were talking about it last week. In Modesto, California, if somebody was across the street and you were walking on the other side of the street and you looked at that person just looking at him trying to figure out who it was, in their mind, you're looking at them in the wrong way. And you better believe they're coming across the street to figure out what you're looking at. Right, that's where I'm from, right? Now, when I was growing up, I was that way. If someone looked at me and I thought they were kind of trying to size me up, trying to fight me or something, I would put my chest up and what, what are you looking at, right? 
But now I'm out of Modesto, praise the Lord, right? God, is, God has redeemed me, he's redeemed my life, he's, he's given me a new mission. You can call me all the names in the world, it does not bother me. You can't make me mad, you can't make me discouraged, it's not going to happen. But, if somebody messes with my wife, if somebody says something about my wife, something does something to my wife, best believe some Modesto's coming out real quick, right? Because I love my wife. Okay? Just know that. I don't think there's a problem in here. But just know that. Okay? Now you take that. Amplify it by eternity because God says that the church is his bride. Okay, hold on. Which means we are Jesus' bride. Which means Jesus, just how I'm going to be protective and I'm going to fight and I will die for my wife. Jesus said, I've already died for my bride. I'm waiting for my bride. I'm protecting my bride and I take my bride very seriously. So you better watch how you treat my bride. You better watch what you expect from my bride. If you don't give your all to the church, Jesus said, hey, I'm, you don't expect the full blessing. The consequence for playing a church game for Ananias and his wife where they drop dead spoon right then and there. And I thank God that's not the case today. Because half of you would have made it out of the car in the parking lot. Right? <laughs> I don't know if I would have got out of bed this morning. I would have been in heaven. But we have to realize that there is a consequence for our sin. And that consequence will at some point equal death if you choose to not repent, if you choose not to follow Jesus. You will die and face the consequences for your own sin. But the thing that you have to realize is this, is that Jesus does not play church games. So look to your neighbor one more time. Say, neighbor, are you all in? And you say, don't lie to me. If we were back in those days, I think someone, I think the footsteps would have been coming down the aisle to take, to take some people away. We have to be all in. The problem with people who play church games is that they're doing it, they're doing things for Jesus, right? They're coming and they're serving, but it's not for Jesus, it's not for the church, it's for selfish gain. They're giving part, expecting to receive the full, and it doesn't work like that. You can't give part of your heart to God and expect Him to, to fully bless your life. You can't give part of yourself to your wife. You can't give part of yourself to your husband. You can't give part of yourself to your marriage and expect it to work. You can't give part to your friendships and expect the friendships to last forever. You can't expect to give part to your business. If you're a business owner, if you do something in your job, you can't expect to give half and get a full reward for it. It does not work. I want to say this too, just as God allowed Peter to see through this game, God gives discernment to leaders and, he's placed, um, and that he's placed in certain positions to see through these church games. And one thing you need to know about me is I don't play games. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't believe in church politic games. I don't, I don't play. And some of you have already experienced that, right? If we have a conversation and I feel like it's some type of game or it's not really the real issue at hand, I'm going to keep asking questions until we figure out the real issue. Right? Some of you have already have experienced that before, and I love you for it. Um, but just like my Lord and Savior doesn't play games with his bride, doesn't play games with the church, and life, I'm not going to play those games. That should be your mindset as well. This should not be just something that you do. This should be something that you live for. This should be your mission. This should be what you're centered on. 
Jesus and his commands. This text is disturbing, right? But it reveals how essential unity is within the church um, and how important it is to God. When there's something threatening the unity, when the church finally decides to get focused and get centered, when the church members are beginning to fully be all, to be all in, God will protect what someone's trying to disrupt. And so I guess really what you need to figure out, right, is if you're truly all in or not. Are you truly all in or are you truly halfway in? So thankfully we don't receive immediate judgment, like I said, uh, but, but sin equals death. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin equals death. Right? But the free gift of God is what? Eternal, Eternal life. You give your all to Jesus. You give it all to him. And he blesses it. You get forgiven. You get peace. You get joy. You get grace upon grace and upon grace. But you have to be all in. Today, we have to decide as individuals, are we truly a disciple of Jesus? Are we truly a follower who follows Jesus? Or are we a follower who's not actually following? Today, we have to decide, are we, have we really came to a point where we repented from our sins? When we said, God, I'm tired of living my life. I want to live after you. If you haven't came to that spot in your life, I'm, I'm, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from going all in? Know that this is the day of salvation. If you're not in a relationship with Jesus, if you've never fully surrendered your life, you can do that today. Jesus is calling you. But I know some of you, right? I don't know, I can't, I, I don't know where your heart is. I know some of you are believers, right? Amen. Some of you are. Some of you are believers, right? <laughs> I would hope so. I hope you'd be excited about that. You have to decide if you are a believer. Are you a church member who is focused on the right mission? Are you a church member who's focused on the right mission, not on what you can get from the church? Not on what's, what's making you mad or upset. I'm not telling you to ignore those things. Come talk to me about those things. But those things should not be your focus. Are you a church member who's focused on the mission? Which means that not, you don't just live it in this building, but you really live it out there. That your life is so focused on Jesus and His commands that when you leave these doors, that's when church begins. Are you a church member who is focused? And then if you're a believer in here, you need to figure out, are you a church member who is centered, so centered on Jesus and his gospel that there's nothing else outside of the world that's going to conform you? There's nothing that's going to change you from, from, from living a life fully devoted to Jesus. You are so centered on Jesus and his gospel and his mission that you cannot be shaken. Are you a member who is centered? Are you coming to church to be a part of the club or are you coming here to worship God? Are you coming here to church because that's what you've always done your whole life and you live in East Tennessee so you're expected to? Or are you coming to church because you want to help encourage and sharpen and be intentional with people? Are you a church member who is centered? Are you being engaged in what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is moving here, right? Greg, me and Greg talked about it. It's exciting to see what God is doing here. So are you a member who's engaging in what God is doing are you centered? And then lastly, are you a church member, a follower of Jesus Christ, who is all in? Um, don't play church games. It's not about you, never was about you. 
never will be about you. At the end of the movie credits, I think I said this on Wednesday, at the end of the movie credits, it's going to say God. <laughs> it's not going to say your name. God. Do not play church games. Surrender your all to Jesus. And we're beginning a new sermon series on surrender. There's a lot of things in the Christian life that we tend to hold on to that takes, up off, takes our focus off of Jesus, takes our center off of Jesus, and it stops us from being all in. Some of those things are guilt. Some of those things are shame. Right? Some of those things are anxiety and depression and anger and bitterness. And we're going to talk about these things for the next several weeks. When, it, when, it, when a believer who is all in finally surrenders everything in their life to Jesus, big things happen. But it won't happen if we continue to not be all the way in. It will not happen if we choose not to be focused. If we focus on the wrong things that don't matter, it's not going to happen. If our center isn't Jesus but on ourselves, it's not going to happen. And if we're not all in, it's not going to happen. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I, I'm going to have a time of honesty with you guys. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm always, I'm not a superhuman, right? I'm your pastor, but I'm still a man. I'm still in the process of God sanctifying me, right? I might just be a few steps of, ahead of some of y'all and a few steps behind some of y'all, right? But this week, this is what God uh, kind of convicted me with. I understand what it's like to get caught up in the busyness of life, right? And if I don't intentionally set time every single day where I'm not doing anything but spending time with Jesus right then and right there. If I don't intentionally do that, it won't happen. Or if it does happen, it's not anything worth anything, right? So I intentionally daily have to, okay, I'm sitting down. I'm not doing anything but spending time with Jesus. And as I was doing that this week, throughout the week, right, and I was studying for the sermon, God really hit me with this. And he said, Donnie, what would it look like if you really were all in? I was like, God, I am all in. Said, no, you're not. No, you're not. Donnie, what would your marriage look like if you were all in? And he convicted me over that. So what would your relationship with Lucy look like if you were all in to that marriage? And he said, Donnie, what would your ministry look like if you were all in? Right? And I, and I look through my week and now I get caught up in busyness, right? I'm so ADHD, I can't focus anyways. God said, Donnie, if you were all in, what would your ministry look like? And he said, Donnie, what if you as a man were all in for me? What impact would you have in the world? And so our altar call, time of response, is going to look different. They're going to sing a song that I'm pleading with my church members. I'm going to grab my wife's hand and we're going to come and we're going to repent. We're going to tell God we're focused, we're centered, and we want to be all in. And I'm asking my church members to do the same thing. There's plenty of space here. But until we as a church get focused, get centered, and become all in, we're not going to experience what God really has planned for us here in this community. But the day that we do, the day we become a church who is all in, the devil better watch out. So I'm going to pray and I'll meet you at the altar with my wife. Let's pray. You can go ahead and stand up.